God is reminding us that just like gold and silver is refined, God uses suffering in our life to refine us. This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Rick presents part 10 of a 10-part series in the book of James, On the Ground Gospel, and it was shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on Sunday, August 19th, 2018. Let's go ahead and read the text this morning. And then what I want to do is after I read the text, I want to kind of do an overview. Again, it's not going to be longer than normal, so don't be afraid. I'm going to hit each of the things we talked about through this series. If you will, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the will and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that's sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that it is alive and working. And God, I pray that today, as it goes forth, it will pierce our hearts and our minds and give forth fruit. God, I pray that um, your Holy Spirit would work and do what he can only do, and that's change hearts and lives forever. God, allow me to decrease and you to increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, James 1, 1, uh, James chapter 1, it's interesting that really James starts out the book with this idea of going through trials, right? And he says, when you go through trials, come and ask me, and I will, and he, the, the, the purpose of trials is perfecting your faith, and when that happens, right, you call on me, you ask me, and I'll give you wisdom. That's how James opens up. And then it's interesting now, this is almost a bookend of the same thing James is talking about here. One is these trials, ask and give wisdom, and I'll give it to you without partiality. And then the end of it is talking about suffering. And when he's talking about suffering, he says, come and pray, come and sing praise. It's this bookend of both halves of James. Now, let me go ahead and start out and share with you the big ideas each of the, each of the series weeks that we had. The first big idea, James is 1, 1 through 12, it was this idea of mature, maturity and desperation, our, our maturing faith and our desperate need for God. And our big idea was this, God tests the authenticity of our faith by trials. And so through trials, God works out our salvation. He works out this perfecting, this idea of, of almost like a 
maybe a blacksmith when the steel is heated up and he begins to shape it, or maybe uh, like someone who crafts a bowl on a potter's wheel, right? Or, or, or someone who chib- chisels away like a sculpture, this idea that God is wanting us to reflect the image of who he is in Jesus Christ. And so this is what we see in James 1, the first half. And then the second half of James, James 1, 13 through 27, it talks about this idea of not just being a hearer, but a doer. And our big idea that week was since we have new birth in Christ, we as a family don't just say what we believe, but we actually live it out in real life as well. And so this is uh, what he is saying to us. And then the uh, James 2, 2, 1 through 13, the first half of that, he's talking about this idea of partiality and discrimination. And he says, as Jesus followers, we need to recognize that uh, showing partiality or favoritism is actually an enemy of the gospel. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand that when, um, when we somehow show discrimination or partiality, that is anti-gospel, it's anti the character of God, it's anti-character of the church and as individuals, uh, as believers in Jesus and then the next one is James 2, 14 through 26, where it says this, faith without works is dead. In other words, God talk without God acts is lifeless, okay? It's, it's lifeless. So this is what uh, he's telling us. Just like the spirit without the body is dead, we, it produces a corpse. It produces whitewash, religion, which does no one any good. And then uh, big, uh, the big idea for James 3, 1 through 12 talks about this idea of words are powerful. As followers of Jesus, we need to remind ourselves that words reveal the progress of our faith. That words can give direction in our life and they can influence many things. And, and James talked about the rudder of a ship, even though it's small, it steers this whole ship. And I talked about uh, when I used to work at the shipyards, how this giant mass of aircraft carriers controlled by a little rudder in the back of it. And then also he talks about this idea that just a spark lights fire, a wildfire. And we talked about one match can light one tree and one tree can light a forest which destroys it. And the fact that one word is so powerful, it can actually control our lives. And then we talked about James 3, 13 through 18, this idea of two different types of wisdom. True wisdom is, from, is about God's glory, not our own. And we talked about how the world wants to offer us its wisdom, and it's all about us, me, myself, and I. But God's wisdom is about him and his glory and for our good. We t- unpack that. And then the big idea for James 4, 1 through 12, talked about the remedy for conflict. And we said this, when fights break out among the family of faith, the grace of Christ is the only remedy that results in pushing back darkness, which leads to healing, humility, and unity. And the grace of God is the only thing that will forgive and heal. And then uh, Jeff talked about a couple weeks ago in, in James 4, 13 through 17, about this idea of boasting about tomorrow. And the big idea was this, we must surrender control of our lives and be content with God's sovereignty. We need to trust God more than we trust ourselves. And then last week, Matt shared from James 5, 1 through 12, this idea of a warning to rich um, and being patient with no grumbling for those who are suffering. And he said this, Christ's intimate return 
drives us to view our wealth and suffering through the lens of the gospel. Now, it's a lot to unpack, but then I want to lead us into today and what the big picture, uh, big idea today is this. Prayer is right, the right response to everything in life. Prayer is the right response to everything in life. James asks three questions, and he gives us kind of four responses to that. The first one he asks is this, is anyone among you suffering? Now, we need to understand that suffering can come in all kinds of forms, right? He talked about earlier half of the chapter, he says, when you, when you suffer, make sure you're patient in that suffering, and make sure you don't grumble. If you look at the Old Testament and look at when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, one of the main problems with the people of, um, of Israel were their grumbling spirits, their attitude. We talk about this at home a lot with our girls, right? The right attitude, this grumbling spirit, and how this grumbling spirit can literally cause our heart to grow cold and bitter toward God and toward others. And so he reminds us of this. But when James talks about if anyone who's suffering, suffering, this can come in all different types of forms. It, this might be a situation where you really have no control. It could be a family member that's causing just havoc in your home. Uh, it could be a kid. It could be a coworker, right? It could be some situation that is out of your control, but somehow involved in relationships and many times, our first response is to get us out of here, right? Just, just take us out, God. We, we do not want to be in this situation. Will you deliver me? Will you, will you rapture me up, right? Would you just get me out of this situation? But I will tell you what I've found and experienced and out of the word of God that nine times out of ten, that's not the answer God's going to give you. That's not the response he's going to give you because... Through suffering, God teaches us so many things, right? Now, I'm not talking about in situations where there's abuse going on or some type of crime going on like there. I'm talking about situations in life where there's an ebb and flow and there's tough things that you go through as individuals within relationships and within your life that you just cannot get out of. And if you did, you know you would be rebelling toward God. So in relationships, whether that's with a child or with a spouse or with someone at work or whatever the situation is, God is saying to us, be patient, don't grumble. But listen, during our suffering, we need to understand there's certain things that God wants to teach us. Just as we looked at the first half of James 1, where he says, listen, if you're going through these trials... Don't try to get out of it. Ask for wisdom for me. This is what James is saying again. He says, if any of you are suffering, what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to go to God. Listen, I want to remind you, and I've said several times through this series, is this. If you're seeing James and you're looking at it and you're saying, I just want to apply the principles here. And I just want to apply them. And apart from a personal, intimate relationship with God, can I tell you what's going to happen? You're going to feel like you're being whitewashed. You're going to feel religious. It's going to be like taking dead leaves and trying to put them on a fake tree. It's just not going to happen. Because the only way these things can truly happen 
is out of a personal relationship with God, an overflow of what God is doing in your heart. So I want to remind you of that. So what, is, what are some of the things that would happen while we suffer? The first thing I want you to write down if you're keeping notes is this. Suffering produces intimacy with God. I want to read Job. This is Job 42.5, and it says this. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. See, Job was not, did not go through the trials, was not uh, facing these awful situations because somehow he had sinned, but the Bible says he was a righteous man, right? And so he produced these things, but what Job is saying here, I didn't just have, I don't just have head knowledge of you now. I don't just have correct doctrine, but I literally have experienced you. I've seen you show up in these situations where it seemed like hopeless, where my friends were telling me just to give up, where my friends were telling me I'd done something wrong, where my, my wife told me to curse God and die. I mean, he said, I've experienced you now. And so there is a intimacy that you can experience with God when you've gone through trials. And there's the experience that you experience with God. You don't just have them here. You don't just have them in your heart, but you actually experience God. The other thing is this. Suffering equips us to comfort others. Let me read Second uh, Corinthians to you. Second Corinthians 1. Three through five, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. In other words, when we've gone through a trial, God doesn't waste that pain and hurt. Sharing with someone just recently about troubles they've went through in their life and past hurts and betrayals and all these things that have happened. And reminded that person, even in my own life, where I've noticed that God has not wasted that hurt. He has not wasted that suffering and that pain in our life. He uses it now when we're on the other side to show that there's light at the end of the tunnel and that when we trust him and we abide in him, God will do something different in our lives. God will heal our hearts and then turn around and now we become an instrument of healing to others. Um, yesterday, I want to bring this video up real quick. Um, I, I don't know if you can hear the volume on this. Can you see it? If I had known I was going to use this today, I would have gotten a lot better video. You're going to see middle-aged men with a shirt off. I apologize for that. Okay. All right. That happened Friday on the James River up near Natural Bridge. I was with a group of guys from another church, um, and we went floating down the river. And I will tell you, um, I've been in some storms in my house, and I've been in some stores in my, storms in my car, but I've never been in an open water where a storm hits like that. 
Literally, I was about 300 yards from the bridge. The other guys were a lot smarter than me. I was still fishing. I thought it was going to go around us. Uh, I was naive. They were wise. And they, they paddled up to this bridge, and it was this giant column, as you can see, and went around, and they took cover. And I, still hadn't rained yet, still hadn't, wind hadn't blown, but you could see the storms, and you could kind of hear the thunder in the distance. And then all of a sudden, a big old crack of lightning shot, and I'm like, I paddled like no man. I mean, <laughs> I paddled for about 300 yards, got there, and got on. Now, what's interesting is, this wind started blowing, it started raining, and we're all guys who, are, most of those guys are seasoned outdoorsmen, but I will tell you, there's still a little, when lightning strikes about 75 feet from you on the land, you kind of pucker up a little bit, just to be nice about it, okay? But you, your reality is that there's storms in life that happen, and listen, we have no control over that. That's a storm, and we have to sometimes just go to God. You know what's crazy? Is God is described as a strong tower, isn't he? He's described as a shelter. He's described as a pavilion. And this is what we did. We ran to it. And this is what God is saying. If you're suffering, come to me. Listen, the, the right response to everything in life is prayer. Come to me. Draw close to me. Do not stay away from me. Do not try to do this on your own. You can't do it. Come to me. Find shelter abiding in me. This is what God is calling. Now, what's really cool is, I want to show you the photo. Do you see that? That was a promise that after the storm in life, God promises us things. That if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is a promise he reminds us of. If we trust him, when we're going through suffering, God is the God of all comfort. He doesn't waste it. The third thing I want you to know about suffering is this. Suffering refines us. Isaiah uh, 48, 10 says this. Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. This is what God is reminding us that just like gold and silver is refined, God uses suffering in our life to refine us, to get away. And I'll just be honest. There's times where I seem like I have to go through the same thing over and over again, right, to learn the lesson. Maybe I'm the only one that has to do that, but I tend to have to face these same things. I thought I got rid of this. I thought I had learned this lesson, but obviously I have not because I fall right back into the same rut, right? And so God uses these things because why? He wants us to reflect the image of his son. In turn, being the gospel and being his hands and feet to our community, to our neighbors, our family, to everywhere we work, live, and play. This is what God is desired for us. And then the other thing is suffering produces growth and maturity. James 1, uh, 2 through 4, like I've already read, but I'll read again. He says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is what, this is what James is reminding us, that uh, suffering produces growth and maturity in our life. 
And then suffering, the last thing, it produces, it conforms us into the image of God. Romans 8. Got to mark this one. Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to purpose, for those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to conform to the image of his son in order that we may be the firstborn among many brothers. This is what God is doing in our life. You know, he treats us like a good father. He also treats us like a shepherd. And there's many times where we wander off. We, we find ourselves in suffering situations. Sometimes it's our own doing. Sometimes it's the doing of others. But constantly God is trying to form us and to reflect his image. Not to rival God. Not to rival Christ. Not to rebel against. But to really reflect who he is. And it's the God of uncomfort. James 1 reminds us also not only that God is good, but he's gracious and he's generous. And listen, he can be trusted. And I know many times when I say that word father, it brings up negative things about some. Some of us have a negative experience because of our past, because of our family situation. And when I say father, but I want you to know that our heavenly father is a good father and that he loves you and he cares for you. He does not want those things to happen to you just because they happen to you. He's trying to bring about good in your life. This is what God is saying. Now, verse 13, he goes on to say, let him pray. So if we're suffering, these are things that can be produced in our life, but also we need to pray. This idea of prayer we see is this idea of a continuous attitude uh, this idea of praying without ceasing. Luke 9 says this. Luke 9, I'm sorry, Luke 11, 9 and 10 says this. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Listen, listen to all these actions. Knock and it will be opened. Ask you shall find, right? For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. So it's this idea of petitioning God, like the persistent widow who just goes back and goes back and goes back. It's this idea of continuing to ask God. Listen, someone once said, as oxygen is for human beings, prayer should be for believers in Jesus, right? It should be this normal, everyday thing. Not that we have to we have to manufacture it, but it should be when we get up every morning before our feet hit the ground, we're thanking God for his goodness and his graciousness. Prayer, listen, prayer is very simply to commune with the living God. That's what prayer is. It's to commune with the living God. Relationship with God is not, ju- is not just doctrinal, doctrinal, which means it's not just right believing, but it's also experiential. In other words, when we pray to God, when we when we talk to God, it's not just believing right things, which is a part of it, and understanding the God you worship and understanding the God you talk to, but it's actually experiencing God as well. I uh, wrote down, if you will, a few things about prayer. Stole most of these from a guy named D.A. Carson, but also added a few. 
the book that I got some of these from, from is called Praying with Paul, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. One of them is this. If we're going to pray, we need a plan, okay? We need to plan your praying. Much praying is not because we do not plan to pray. Now, I know a lot of us, because we're, we're very, like, um, organic and we like the things happen naturally, but I will tell you this, okay? If you don't plan it, eventually you're not going to do it. I, I'll tell you this. So several years ago, uh, Michelle um, thought we should, this is the time we should, we should take our kids to Disney, right? And so we planned this incredible, uh, mostly her, but I just, we just planned this really cool trip, right? To, to take the girls down, or uh, yeah, down to Disney. And so we planned it out, we laid it out, we had all these cool things, we, we laid out the days, what we were trying to do. What, now, do you realize that our kids felt loved and encouraged and all those things? They didn't feel like they were a number. They didn't feel like they were in somebody's system. You know, many times we think, well, we're planning this, it just, it just doesn't seem real, it doesn't seem authentic, it doesn't seem to have the organic feel that I feel like I, I need to have. Listen, I understand that. And there's going to be times where you pray, but you also have to discipline to pray. Just like you have to discipline to, to date your spouse, or you have to have discipline to spend time with your kids. It has to be this discipline, this plan. Now, I want to encourage you. There's a, there's a bunch of resources we have. There's five different cards in the back that if you want to grab sometime, you can. It's lifting uh, prayer with a blended family through prayer. My children through prayer. A friend through prayer. How do I pray for my wife? How do I pray for my husband? How do I pray for our family during difficult circumstances? We provide all these things. Listen, not to become religion, religious, okay, but to provide some type of tool for you so you can begin the spiritual discipline of prayer. Do you understand? Uh, many years ago, I had uh, gained about 30 or 40 pounds and then I realized, man, if, if for the health of my kids and uh, for longevity and ministry, I need, to, I need to crack down on this. You know what it took? It took hard work. It took discipline. It took me planning my meals, my workouts, all those things, okay? And I perfected that, but then I began to get results because why? I planned those things. I made it part of my ritual. The other thing I want you to realize about prayer is this, to adopt practical ways to impede mental drift. In other words, put, your, put yourself in a place where you're not going to get distracted. And I'm going to tell you, this is hard for me. Uh, I'm a shepherd, and so naturally I'm going to get emails and phone calls and texts, and I'm afraid if, if I'm away from my phone for a period of time, some emergency is going to happen, and I'm not going to be able to get to that person in time or whatever the situation is. But I can tell you something. It's also important to put away those distractions. It's probably not a good idea, to have Facebook open while you're trying to spend time in prayer, right? It's probably not a good idea to be on Instagram when you're trying to have a quiet time with God. So understanding we need to somehow put those things away to make it a practice. Third thing about prayer is this. When possible, look for a prayer partner. I've tried to do this for years, many years ago when God rescued me. I got involved in an organization called Young Life, and God used men in my life at that point to start understanding what accountability was, prayer, unity, and understanding how my faith could grow when I had others around me to protect me. 
and also for me to sharpen them and for them to sharpen me. And so this idea of a prayer partner, look for somebody that you can share your intimacy with. And I understand that takes time. That person has to be trustworthy just like you have to be. But it's this idea of beginning to build a prayer partner. The other thing is this, get around people who do pray. You know, if, if you know somebody's a prayer warrior, hey, go talk to them. Ask them, hey, what, what do you use? What, how, do you, how do you go about this? And listen, there's no, there's no perfect way of doing this, okay? In fact, we're going we're gonna to learn that in just a second. Uh, the best way to pray is to, to learn how to pray is to pray, right? Um, and so this idea that we need to get around other people that pray. The second, next one is this to develop a system for your prayer list. And what I mean by that, I'm going to give you a little, a little acrostic. It's called Acts. It's this idea of adoration. Adoration is the attitude of worship characterized by love, reverence toward God. In fact, James mentions this farther down in the text. It's the idea of confession. Confession in this pattern refers us to, to admit and acknowledge our sin, both generally and specifically when talking to God. And later, we're going to be talking about actually confessing our sins one to another. It's also this idea of thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is this pattern referring to the offering of thanks to God, especially for the daily blessings. One of the things that we pray at our home over and over, and we teach our kids, is that we're so thankful that we have a bed. We're so thankful they have a roof over our head. We're so thankful that we have running water and we have shoes on our feet, right? Do you realize if you have running water... If you have a roof over your head and your shoes over your feet, then you're in better shape than about, I think it's about 80% of the world. Think about that. That's incredible, right? But there's things we need to just be thankful for on a daily basis. And then the last one is this idea of supplication and intercession. Supplication and prayer is when we come to God and ask him for something, usually for ourselves. Intercession is when we go to prayer for someone else's behalf. Let me finish out what... This idea of prayer is about, is this idea of this, whenever possible, we need to pray scripture. This is a, something that I thought I would have learned a long time ago, but it's only been in the last year, a year and a half, that I've actually made this a practice. I read a book, Praying, uh, Praying Scripture, I think it's called, and it just opened my eyes to realize sometimes we get in ruts with prayer, or we feel like it's just a grocery list, and then all of a sudden, I began to just read the text and just say, talks about walking by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And I asked God, hey, will you let me walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh and not gratify the sinful desires of my flesh? Those are things, when you, the Bible says, if you pray anything according to the will of God, it will happen. And so there's no better way than to pray according to the will of God, but to pray Scripture, right? And so there's this idea of praying Scripture. I love Tim Keller says this on prayer. We would never produce the full range of biblical prayer if we were initiating prayer according to our own inner needs or psychology. It can only be produced if we are responding in prayer according to who God is as it's revealed in Scripture. So one of the best ways to pray is to pray through Scripture. This is what God's reminding us of. And the other thing is this. Understanding this, that one of our core values is biblical authority, Right? And so we say this, truth for living, God reveals himself through scriptures, therefore the Bible is our ultimate and sufficient authority for life. And so understand when we pray through scripture, we're praying according to God's will, and God hears us. And then the next thing about prayer is this, pray until 
you pray. And that's why I mentioned earlier, the only way to get better at praying is just pray, right? That's the only way to happen. I know one of our girls is still working on riding a bike. And the only way that that's going to happen is to ride a bike without support is just keep getting on there, right? Just keep getting on there. You got to get up on the saddle again. And this is what we see in scripture. Well, obviously we see where Jesus, the only thing that the only thing that disciples ever asked Jesus was to teach us, was to pray. And listen, he says, uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespassers as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, Jesus says, is not our will, but his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we, we also believe in one of our core values is this, this idea of fervent prayer. We prioritize, an indiv- indiv- I'm sorry, we prioritize individual and corporate prayer out of our desperation for God to advance his kingdom. We call this cry aloud. And then he goes on to say this, is any of you cheerful? Then let him sing praise. Listen, what is praise? Praise is probably best described as good music that leads us to Christ, Okay. Some people call it portable theology. You know, we, we need those go-to songs in our lives. And by the way, that's what, that's what really what songs are written for, is to build theology, to remind the people of what God has done for them in the past and what he's going to do for them. And so this idea, many times we're in a car, we're in a situation, and sometimes maybe we can't read our Bible because we're driving, but we can play a song, right? And I will tell you this, music in the form of praise has God has used it in a powerful way in my life. In fact, some of you guys are old enough to remember a guy named Keith Green. And my, my middle sister above me was walking with the Lord, and I wasn't. And she would send me these cassette tapes. I'm really showing my age. She, she would send me these cassette tapes, right? And I would play this music. And I remember these times where I wasn't even following Jesus yet. And I would just break down and cry because God used the the words of praise to soften my heart. And so this idea that, listen, our right response to everything in his life is prayer, and praise is a form of prayer. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, is anyone among you sick, let him call the elders. Now, I want to understand this is symbolic. The oil is symbolic in nature, not sacramental, okay? In other words, if you look through the Old Testament, you see all these things that were... um, a part of the sacrificial system. Why don't we have those anymore? Well, Hebrews 9 explains it. We don't need those things anymore. We have Christ. He became our Passover lamb, right? And so we, we, we know that many times things that are symbolic in Scripture get mixed up. Uh, sometimes like baptism, people say, well, I get baptized, I got saved. No, you get saved because you agree with God, the, the work that he's done by faith, okay? It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in God sending his one and only son that he died for your sins. And there's no other way to God except for through him. That's salvation. And, 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 and baptism is the only symbol of that. Some people get it mixed up when you take the Lord's Supper that actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. And this is true too that there was an error teaching in this is that sometimes 
Catholics would call this extreme unction. In other words, somehow through the oil that, that grace would be transferred. This is not what John is saying. John is inviting those who are sick to come before their shepherds, before their elders to be prayed for, right? And listen, we need to understand in those days and times, many people got things mixed up. In fact, when Jesus was walking with his disciples in John 9, they, they saw a blind, blind man. They said, hey, who, who sinned, him or his parents? He says, you don't get it. This is for the glory of God. And you understand that every illness is not because someone sinned. Now, generally, because of the fall in mankind, there is a curse and there's disease and ultimately there's death. And by the way, we're all going to die one day, right? Did you know that? 100% of the people have lived have died. They're going to die. We're all going to die. And we're going to die of some illness. So it doesn't mean that that illness was some, somehow a result of our sin directly, okay? So understand that. This is not what James is saying. But James is saying this. If you are in a sinful behavior or sinful pattern, and when you come before the elders, what you're actually saying is, God, you're in control. You're humbling yourself, just like 1 John 1, 9, that you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This is what James is saying. If someone else is sick we don't need to wonder what's going on with them, like maybe they're sin. No, we need to cut that out. We're not judge and jury. We've, James has already talked about this, right? But it's this understanding that many times when we go through our own sickness, what it is is actually a time of reflection. I don't know about you, but I've been in the hospital when I don't want to be, and it's a real time of reflection. There's been times where I've been laid out on the bed in pain. I'm going to tell you it's not fun, but it's a time of reflection. You begin to take inventory. And this is what James is saying. Many times when we're in these sickness or an illness is really, in some ways, it's a, a time of reflection and soul searching. But you know what else it is? It's a time for the church to be the church. Do you see that? Where it says, come before the elders, let's pray for them. And then it goes on to say also that in, in uh, verse 15, it says this, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he commits sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Listen, God's the only way to forgive sins. The only person we've ultimately sinned against is God. He's the only one that can forgive us and cleanse us. But it also says this, we've confessed our sins to God vertically, we're forgiven. But you know what else it says? We need to confess our sins horizontally. And it's funny that God says we're forgiven of our sins when we confess vertically. But listen, we're healed when we confess horizontally. There's a certain amount of healing that if we don't humble ourselves one to another at times and ask for forgiveness and, and confess that sin to the one who's been offended and repent of that sin, we're, our hearts are never quietly quite be healed because of this lack of humility in relationships with others. So this idea of practicing the gospel with God, I mean, with ourselves through God, we need to practice the gospel horizontally after we experienced it vertically. And then he goes on to say this idea of Elijah. This is a great picture. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. If you haven't had a chance to read through that, I encourage you 
1 Kings uh, 17 and 18 is this idea that God commanded uh, Elijah to, to pray that it would not rain. And then he, he had ravens bringing him food. He had this brook, and then that dried up, and he questioned God, you know, has he sinned? And then he went and found the widow, and then the widow was, her and her son only had a little oil left and enough to make um, a little piece, of loaf of bread. And then they were going to die, a little biscuit of, of bread. And then he says, listen, if you trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm from God, then God will provide. And sure enough, he did. But then the, the little boy died, and then, then the widow questioned, was it her sin? And Elijah questioned if it was her, his sin. And then he, he prayed and got healed. And eventually, we see this duel, if you will, this competition between uh, the false idols of Baal and th- the true living God. God used Elijah. And they tried and tried all day to somehow send fire from heaven and nothing happened. And Elijah made fun of their God. He says, is he out going to the bathroom? What's going on? He went on vacation. I don't know what's going on here. And then he, he said a simple prayer. He said, God, would you prove that you are the one true living God? After he doused it with water, built the altar and put the sacrifice on it. And God licked up not only the sacrifice, but all the water. And the, the bell, um, the, the false prophets of Baal ran for their lives and they were slaughtered. Listen, we have a guy who un, did unbelievable things. I mean, he had incredible prayers and incredible things happen. But James is reminding us here of this, that he's just a normal dude like me and like you. In fact, the point is not how remarkable Elijah is, but now how unremarkable he is. In other words, he had a sinful nature, just like me and you. He put us, if you will, I remember, I remember uh, going to play football games, and we'd play a big team that was bigger, faster, stronger than us, and the coach would always remind us, those guys put on their, their uniform just like you do, right? And so it's this idea that Elijah was a man, just like me and you. He was a human being, but God did extraordinary things. And this is what I want to remind us of this. Do you understand in the face of unbelievable miracles, um, he still questioned God at times? In, in blessings, he still doubted. I don't know if you knew, the, but, but he ran away and hid in a cave because a queen threatened him. And he literally said, I want to die. Now imagine, I don't know about you, but if I called from heaven fire, at that point, I think it would be settled. I'd be all right with my relationship with God. Like, I know we're connected here, right? And we see Elijah running from that. Imagine that, okay? Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you, and he ran, okay? He ran in hiding, and he literally said, God, will you just let me die? But guess what? God showed up again. He wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the wind. It wasn't in the fire. It was in a soft whisper. And this goes back to a relationship with God. And God is saying this to us. Do you understand? We need to be content in our relationship with him. But this is really the whole point of prayer. That even though we're content, and Elijah was content, there was a, there was a part of a dissatisfaction. In other words, the Bible, and, 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 and Paul talks about being content with or without, right? In plenty or in need. So we need to be content. That's what prayer is. It's saying, I'm content with you, God and what you've done for me, and where I'm at with you. But it's also saying, I'm not satisfied. In other words, let me, let me explain it this way. You have a relationship with your spouse. You're content in that situation. But are you quite satisfied with the fact of where you're always at? 
as a couple, or a family, you're raising a family and you're, 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 you're content with the fact that you're a father or a mother of this children, ch- uh, kid or ch- uh, children, but you're never quite satisfied because God is wanting t- to move you down the road, right? In your relationship there. You're not quite satisfied exactly how you're leading. And it's true in my relationship with God. If my relationship with God today is the same as five years from now, then, then I'm drifting. I'm not going forward, right? And so I want to be learning new things and God refining me in new ways that maybe he didn't do before because I wasn't there yet. And so understanding when, when God is calling us, he's calling us to be content, but not quite satisfied because this is what really prayer is. Prayer is saying, I'm content with you and what you've done for me and who I am in you, but I'm not quite satisfied. And this, is, this may be the church. This may be our family, our personal content. I mean, God has blessed this church in tremendous ways. But guess what? I want more people to come to Christ. Our people want more people to come to Christ, right? We want to reach new territory for his kingdom. Not for our sake, but for God's kingdom. And this is what he's saying. And then we typically pray for more when we're in situations beyond our control. But what James is really reminding us here is they're never really in control. Do you realize that? You're never really in control. See, James is saying, when you're in these situations, you need to pray. You need to praise. You need to call for the elders. Do you understand you're never really in control? You understand that God is the one who's sovereign and he's in control. And we need to be going to him and seeking his face and asking what his opinion is and where he should be working our lives and around us and our neighbors. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Lead Pastor Rick Nicely will conclude his sermon with the big question coming up. Spotswood at Ladysmith exists to glorify God by advancing His kingdom through obedience to His Great Commission. To know more, to find resources, and to interact with us, please visit our website, spotswoodls.org, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, SpotswoodLS. Now, here's Rick with a conclusion to this week's sermon. I want to close with this. This is the big question. I'm so sorry I've gone a little long. In your prayers to God, what do you need to praise Him for, confess about, or repent of? In your prayers to God, what do you need to praise Him about, confess about, or repent of? Now, the Bible makes it very clear here that if someone is sick, they need to come to the elders of the church and we'll pray for them. Now, I don't see this on a regular basis like healing services or, or these things where you know, someone's going around with the gift of healing, so to speak. I don't see that. I see that in a local body, if there's someone who's sick or suffering or some type of situation, that they pray and for the, the elders will pray over them and anoint them with oil. And we'd love to do that. If there's someone in this situation this morning and you want to be prayed over, I would love to pray over you and some of our guys who are leaders here pray over you, okay? But I want you to know your biggest need is this for the gospel. Your biggest need is to confess to God that you're a sinner and that you need his grace. And it's only through the atoning blood of his son, Jesus, that you can be forgiven. 
And through that, we want to see you grow and abide and become more like a son, Jesus. This is what we're called to do. And this is what James is ending this book with. It's about a relationship. Would you come to me? That's what he's saying. Would you come? God is saying, would you come to me? Listen, you, you who lack wisdom, you who are in pain, you who are, are, things are going great, I still need you to come to me because I'm the source of your life. I'm the source of salvation. Some of you guys here today need to make a decision for Christ. You need to call on God and let him do what only he can do. We all stand. I want to pray. There'll be people here up front. We'll pray with you. We want to encourage your hearts. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your day. This day, thank you for your word. God, I just pray you'll do what only you can do, and that's to change hearts and lives forever. God, you're so good. You're so gracious. God, would you set the captives free? That's why you came. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Rick presented part 10 of a 10-part series in the book of James, On the Ground Gospel, and it was shared with the congregation at Spotswood at Ladysmith on Sunday, August 19, 2018. These podcasts are available weekly on iTunes and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to SpotswoodLS.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.